uh, continue in our series that we started last Sunday. The series is called Disarming Division. We took a look last Sunday at John chapter 17 where we, we reminded ourselves the weight of the words that we find in that chapter, that those are not just uh, a recorded prayer that Jesus offered to his Father, but that those were truly and effectively Jesus' last wishes here on earth. And then some of you have been close to a loved one who has maybe even offered to you or uttered to you in their last season of life here on earth, their dying wishes. And what we looked at last week in John chapter 17 was very much Jesus' dying wish as he left this life here on earth. And anybody remember what one of Jesus' focal points was from last week in John chapter 17? We, we talked about it last week as we laid the foundation for this series. Unity, right? And we said two big things that Jesus points out in John chapter 17. That unity is the ultimate desire of Christ for his followers. There is nothing that Jesus wants more than for oneness among his body. Nothing. And I don't know about you, but I just need to be reminded of that on a frequent basis. Because I, if I allow myself, I get deceived in thinking that Jesus really wants something else for me in his body. But what he really and truly wants at the core of his ministry and his heart cry in John chapter 17 is oneness and unity among his followers. Oneness with each other and oneness with himself and the Father. But he also said that unity is the ultimate apologetic of Christ for the world. In other words, there is no greater compelling reason, evidence, in the world that we live in than unity among the body of Christ. Oneness with each other and with God. Because there's no natural reason that you and I should come together and stay together in such a way focused on one cause, one name, one kingdom in earth and, on, and in heaven. Amen? And so Jesus said last week as we launched this series that unity is not just his greatest desire. It's the world's greatest apologetic. And so if... Jesus has valued this unity so deeply, then the question that we have to address is how have we as the church dismissed it so easily? How have we settled for the absence of unity among each other and with our Father? Because that's the reality we live in. And so you and I know that we must recenter and refocus on growing and maturing in the unity that comes from God. And we are going to continue to pursue that because that's what Jesus longed for us to embody. But as we said last week, and the, really the focus of this new series, we're going to also learn and grow and mature in our capacity to disarm the enemy's attacks against 
the unity that comes from God. Because there's nothing that the enemy wants more. If what Jesus wants most of all is unity, there is nothing the enemy wants more than division. And he, the enemy knows that if he can just get you divided, isolated, alone, then he can have his way with you and God's plans will not prevail in and through your life. It's critical that we must learn as a church to disarm division. So let's look at John chapter 4. We used this passage last week and saw that God does some amazing things when we defuse the things that are different among us. And this morning, we're going to look at this passage from a slightly different angle. Let's read verses 6 through 10. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, these verses are on the screen this morning. It says this. Real quick. Jesus had traveled through Samaria, a place that Jews just did not traverse in that day and time. Because they, they thought the Samaritans were a, uh, a people of repulsion. They didn't honor their culture. They, they didn't feel like they uh, were a clean and appropriate um, culture for upholding the letter of the law. And so Jesus and his disciples, because of, a, of an impending threat, felt compelled. Jesus led his disciples against everything that was within them and everything that they had been trained to do growing up in the Jewish culture, he led them right into the heart of Samaria. And we pick up here in John chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, I'm grateful Jesus got tired, amen, he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied to the woman, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Hey, turn to your neighbor this morning and ask them how they're feeling. It's okay to answer that question when they ask you. How are you feeling this morning, Shannon Oaks? The title of this morning's sermon is Fade the Feelings. Fade the feelings. That's not a typo. You know, some of you would expect a preacher to come in and say, we need to fake the feelings, right? That's not, we need to fade the feelings, and we're going to follow the Lord's leading this morning as we continue in that thought today. So looking back at this passage in John chapter 4, what, what are some of the feelings that we see inferred or implied in that passage, verses 6 through 10? Well, we look at Jesus and clearly, Jesus is feeling tired and thirsty, right? We see the woman that was a whole different um, area of repulsion for a Jewish male to, to encounter a Samaritan woman. And we see that the woman is there to draw water at the well, probably because she's either 
feeling thirsty or feeling dirty or feeling obligated to take care of her family back home. And so the woman is, is feeling those things. And then the disciples, at this point in the story, they're not even around because clearly they were feeling hungry. How many of you are feeling hungry this morning? Uh, I, I, more of you than that, I believe you. But uh, the disciples were feeling hungry. But how about on a deeper level? That, that's on the surface. And it's, it's obvious that Jesus and the woman and the disciples were feeling those things. But what about on a deeper level? What about Jesus? What was he really feeling in this passage? I'm starting to sound like a therapist, aren't I? How, how are you feeling this morning? So, so Jesus, I believe that Jesus was feeling like he was wanting to love the unlovable in this circumstance and situation. I believe the woman, you know, it, it becomes obvious as the story unfolds, but I believe the woman shows up here in John chapter 4 feeling dissatisfied, looking for fulfillment in, in all the wrong places, and obviously feeling the weight of shame and guilt in her life. And the disciples, well, obviously since they weren't there because they were feeling hungry, then they knew, or it's obvious, that they were feeling a little bit self-centered, right? Self-consumed, which Obviously, for multiple reasons, they were feeling like they were products of the environments in which they had been raised. Amen? Parents, how many of you feel like that you're a product of the environments in which you've been raised? And you see yourselves raising your kids in the environment, right, um, that, that some of you were raised in. Some of it a little bit different. Here's a secret that I want to tell you this morning, Shannon Oaks Church. This is free. This isn't on the screens. You don't have to pay for this, all right? Here's a secret I want to let you in on. There's always a surface level to your feelings. You always feel something on the surface. But here's the secret part of it that I want to let you in on today. There is always a deeper voice communicating something through the feelings that you experience. There's always something deeper below the surface that is saying something through your feelings that you experience in your life. Jesus and this woman continue to engage in a, in a very interesting conversation. If you're not familiar with John chapter 4, I encourage you this week to go and read it several times because it takes a little, a little repetition to let it soak in exactly what's being communicated here. But they, they engage in this conversation, and he reveals his identity, and he reveals her brokenness. And then in John chapter 4, verse 27, just look down the page a little bit. We see this passage. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her, Jesus? Or why are you talking with her? Because remember, there was a, a, a division in the Jewish society between men and women. And last week we said that there were even a sect of Pharisees, those religious leaders who really prided themselves on their ability to do good things um, no matter what their motivation was. But they could fulfill the law the best that anybody else could around. These would have been the, the church pastors and staff of that day and age. 
And there was a sect of Pharisees that were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because when they saw a woman way off in the distance, they would cover their eyes and turn their head, and they found themselves walking into poles and and, and running off of uh, ditches on the side of the road and, and just finding themselves, hurting themselves physically because of their desire to not overstep the bounds of the law. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel more like the disciples in this story than I do Jesus. You know, not, not every time can I, uh, can I say with all integrity that I show up ready to love the unlovable and engage the mission of God that he brings to the equation. There's a lot of times in my life that I find myself following and pursuing my feelings, hunger, thirst, exhaustion, solitude, right? And I find myself just shocked and suspicious of what God is doing when I show up to the place that he wanted me to go in the beginning. You know, through this study and the preparation for this morning's message, I've realized a a new way to consider the feelings that we experience in our lives. And the best way that I can express it to you this morning is simply this, and maybe this will mean something to somebody in the room today, that feelings are thoughts that invade the flesh. Feelings are thoughts that invade the flesh. In other words, let me say this, your flesh, as Scripture speaks to the flesh being the, 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 the domain of our brokenness, the thing that, that Jesus looks at and, and the Father says, Jesus, you got to go take care of that because it's flesh. The, the flesh is the domain of our feelings. And that's part of the reason that our flesh is so broken is because we are slave to our feelings in the flesh. So much of our lives as we know them are driven by what we feel, aren't they? We're either hungry or satisfied, tired or alert, healthy or sick. You know, most of these are feelings that we experience, right? Accepted or rejected. They, they affect little decisions and big decisions in our lives, And we even find ourselves saying, well, so-and-so, they hurt my feelings. Or they said that I was just guilty of wearing my feelings on my sleeves, right? So much of our lives are driven and steered by the influence of our feelings that we experience. But they are an unreliable guide in our life, aren't they, church? How many of you have pursued a feeling at some point, no, don't raise your hands here, right? At some point in your life, you've pursued a feeling, and it's misled you along the way. Am I the only one in the house today that has been the victim of pursuing feelings? You know what? If I have, if I would have uh, pursued every feeling in my life that presented itself to the surface, you know what would, what would happen to me? I would have been single, imprisoned, and dead long before right now. Amen? And I know I'm not alone in the house today. Because every feeling that has come my way 
has led me to make a critical decision in my life. Broken relationships, scars and wounds of self-harm, regret from life-altering decisions. Some of us still carry the consequences, even today, of pursuing the feelings that have led us and influenced us in our lives. But grateful for you and for me and, and the grace of God today as he meets us here in this place, there is, the good news, there is an appropriate place for feelings in the life of the children of God. You ready for this? There's an appropriate place for feelings in the life of the, child, of the children of God. The only appropriate place for feelings in the life of the children of God is this, in submission to God. That is the only appropriate place for your feelings. Now listen, I get it. There are good feelings and bad feelings. There are even some feelings that are kind of indifferent. You know, they're in the gray area. They're not good or bad, but they just are what they are. But there's only one appropriate place for feelings in the lives of God's children, and that is in submission to the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 reminds us that for we walk by faith, not by sight. I want to, in the context of this morning's message, I want to give you the Pastor Eric translation. That's the English uh, standard version. I want to give you, for we walk by faith, not by feeling. Because sight and feeling are really synonymous in the context of what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the church. There's only one reliable, dependable, eternal guide for your life, and it is not the wind, which way it blows, the way that the sun hits the surface and reflects back. It's not the stirrings with inside your broken flesh. It is the truth and the faith that only comes from God. If you hear me this morning, say, yeah, church. Your feelings, as we saw in, Samar in uh, John chapter 4 with Jesus and the Samaritan woman and the disciples, your feelings are always going to lead you one of two places, always. They're either going to lead you to an encounter with Christ or they're going to lead you away from an encounter with Christ every single time. And the decision is ours. John chapter 8, John chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. This is after the disciples have come back and, you know, didn't have the, the nerve to ask Jesus what he was doing. After that interesting conversation that Jesus had with the woman where he revealed his identity and her brokenness without her even saying a word about it, we see these words. So the woman left her water jar. And went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Shannon Oaks, I want to tell you this morning that in the conversation of our feelings and our faith, that our feelings only have one option in the picture next to truth. And that is this, feelings fade when you focus on the truth. Your feelings 
will lose their power in your life. They, their, their influence over the decisions that you make will diminish significantly when you begin to focus on the truth that does not come from you, but comes through you from God. Amen? I love, love the gift that God has given us in John chapter 4, verses 28 20, and 29, where it says, in all the translations, it says that the woman left her water jar. She was at Jacob's well. She had shown up because obviously she was thirsty. She might have been dirty. She might have felt obligated to serve her family. But she was there because of a perceived need in her life that caused her to leave one location and move to a different location to retrieve the water that she needed. And in John chapter 4, when she began to focus on the truth, every translation says she left her water jar because the truth had compelled her to go and communicate a greater message. She had left the very thing that had brought her there, the feeling inside of her, because the feeling had faded when she began to focus on the truth. You know, there's a reality about feelings in our life. Feelings lead, typically will lead us to focus on the gaps in our life. You know, when I start to feel hungry, you know what I interpret that as? I need to fill the gap in my stomach, right? When I feel tired, I began to think that, that, that I need to fill the gap between where I am and the restful body that's going to emerge on the other side. When I began to feel hurt, I began to interpret that in such a way that I, the enemy has stolen something from me, that he has destroyed something in my life, and now I begin to focus on my feelings because there's a gap in my life. But when you focus on the truth, guess what happens? You begin to focus on the filling of the gaps. When you begin to acknowledge the truth that comes from God in your life, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then I begin to realize that I am full and satisfied. I have nothing. I lack nothing. And there is no gap or void in my life because he is all I have ever needed. Amen? Are you focusing on your feelings? Are you focusing on the truth? Because here's what I've seen, even in my life. Feelings lead to division. Feelings don't facilitate very long the unity that God has created for us to embody. And there is a reality about the church right here at Shannon Oaks. We are starving for truth. We are starving for truth that fades the feelings in our life. And I have to, I have to uh, unfold some scriptural principles for you real quick. Now, I'm not, I'm not picking and choosing. I, I'm receiving the fullness of God's word. And, and, I, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reweave them out of their original context into a beautiful tapestry that will help us understand the opportunity that is before us in regards to our feelings and Jesus' ultimate desire for unity this morning. Proverbs chapter 23 Verse 7 says this, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 45, say it says this. Jesus says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing. Okay, are you ready? If you hear me this morning, say yeah. All right, here's the beautiful tapestry. As a man thinks in his heart, not just so is he, so are others. As a man thinks in his heart, so are others. How are you getting that, Pastor? Where are you going with this? As a man thinks in his heart, Jesus says, what's on the inside of your heart, you're going to speak it out. Your words have the power of life and death. And as though, therefore, since faith comes by hearing, since we've been made to, to interpret the things that come to our ears and internalize them into our hearts, then what you think about others begins to become what I think about others and so, therefore, it's critically important, Shannon Oaks Church, that the truth become our benchmark about each other and about us. And the feelings that we experience in our lives, the voice of our flesh has no place here. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? As a church who must demand unity among each other and with our Father, our feelings in the flesh, though they are real voices that must be dealt with, they have no authority among us. For too long, I, your pastor, have allowed and even participated in a culture of dishonor at Shannon Oaks Church. I've encouraged the renewing of your minds and my mind from right here on Sunday morning, but I have done nothing to charge and change the renewal of the mind's input, specifically in the voice of feelings versus truth. Complaining, gossip, and negativity have all been far too common under my watch as your shepherd. And it has bitten many people. Probably more than we're even aware. And some of them even in this room. And because I've allowed negativity and I've encouraged negativity and I've given attention and authority to negativity on my watch instead of doing what God has called and created me to do, and that is hold every thought captive to Jesus Christ. To speak truth, not circumstantial truth. Not present evidence of the circumstances in our lives and what's going on, but the truth that comes from God alone. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing else matters. If it's my thought, it's wrong. If it's my feeling, Listen, I have to be able to know that the voice of my feeling is wrong. If it's not what God thinks, if it's not what God says, if it's not what God has declared and promised, it is wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 reminds us that love keeps no record of wrong but rejoices with what? The truth. So I'm asking you to forgive me. 
I'm asking each one of you to forgive me for allowing and participating in the culture of dishonor under my watch. I have had this conversation with our elders. I have had this conversation with our staff. And I want you to know that a line has been drawn in the sand. And there is nothing that will be entertained that doesn't bring honor, that doesn't bring encouragement, that doesn't align with the voice of God's truth for each and every one of you and each and every one of us and each and every one of God's children that he may not have even claimed and brought into his family. His words are life, and when we speak, we have the choice to join him in those words of life, or we can be a catalyst for death. There's something about honor that I want to affirm to you this morning. Honor affirms value. There's only one way to honor someone, and that is to affirm the value that God says they have. I believe honor is what our church is starving for. I believe that honor will change everything about us once the culture shifts this direction. It will change everything about how we relate to each other, the level of unity we can achieve among us, or rather receive from God among us, and it will bring a deeper level of intimacy among us and our Heavenly Father. Because of our choice to honor each other. When others come up to us in the future with negative words to say, with things that don't honor or value someone else, listen, we don't entertain it, but we certainly don't ignore it. We redirect it. And we overwhelm the voice of our flesh with the voice of God's truth over us and for us in such a way that it redirects the heart of the one communicating and it reaffirms the value that that person or people have in our own heart. Because we have been created and called to be one body, one with each other and one with the Father. And the only way for that to become reality among us is to fade the feelings in our life. Now, emotions, I believe, are a gift from God. But we have to submit the voice of our feelings to the authoritative word of God. So here's what I know about your life. And here's what I know about the steering influences in your world today. Your feelings are shouting even now. In a few moments or maybe in a few hours, a few days from now, your voice of your feelings is going to change. They're going to say something entirely and altogether different. So what influence is the voice of your feelings having on your life and the lives of those around you? Maybe for somebody here today, the Lord has just really resurfaced a, a, a hurtful or painful conversation in, in recent past where you know that what was said or what was communicated had 
little or nothing to do with God's voice of truth and had a lot more to do with the voice and the power and influence of your feelings in your life. Let me tell you, there is a great opportunity as our worship team leads us into response now to come before your brother, your sister, to come before your your family and before your father and to watch God's love and reconciliation and redemption unfold among us. Let me tell you something. You are the greatest people I have ever known in my life. You are the most gifted people I have ever known in my life. I love and care for each and every one of you. And I wish that I had the capacity in my very own life to reflect it and show it personally to each one of you. But I believe, Shannon Oaks Church, that God is calling us to move beyond where we've been. And this conversation this morning is one that we cannot neglect. We have to give attention to. And we cannot let the enemy continue to divide and destroy because of the influential power of the voice that comes from our broken flesh. And so this morning... As you stand to your feet this morning and as I pray for you, I want to ask you to just respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, however he leads. Let's stand and pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, oh God, we're so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Because just when we think that we're doing pretty good on our own, we're reminded and humbled that we've needed it more now than we ever have. And God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would seal the work of transformation, authority, and power in the hearts of every person in this room today. And that we truly would emerge a a different people, a people who, who don't just open our mouths casually or flippantly, but Father, that we would truly examine the condition and the content of our heart in a way that brings every thought and feeling into submission to you and that you give us the filter and the permission to say the things that get your stamp of approval in and over the lives of those around us and even, God, for ourselves because I know that there are people in this room who have not honored the people that you have made them to be themselves. And so, Father, for the damage that the enemy has done up to this point, God, you offer the restorative promise in your word that you will bring back even more abundantly what the enemy has stolen. Let it be among us. Let us exhibit a bond we've never experienced before because of the powerful, life-giving words of your truth in us over us. And God, bring us to deeper depths and higher heights with you because of that reality. Let us be able to draw more closely to your presence and to seek your face and your glory as we honor you.